Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I would like to begin a new series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And in that connection, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16, as we read the verses 6 through 15, which describes in some detail the founding of this church by the Apostle Paul. Let us hear the word of God. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And this ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Dear friends, do you like receiving letters? We don't receive many letters anymore. Most of the time we receive news of friends and family through email or social media. But there's something special about a letter. It's more personal, especially if it was written by hand. It also means more. You know someone really cares if they actually take the time to write you a letter. Well, as mentioned earlier, today I hope to begin a series of sermons on a letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians some 2,000 years ago. For many Christians, Paul's letter to the Philippians is one of the most beloved letters he ever wrote. And there are several reasons for this. First of all, it's a very personal letter. In this letter, Paul gives us a glimpse into his heart, in particular how he felt about the Philippians and why. Secondly, it is a joyful letter. In fact, the letter of the Philippians is one of the most joyful books in the Bible. The word joy appears no less than 16 times in only four brief chapters. And in Philippians 4 verse 4, the apostle writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, Rejoice. It's also a very positive letter. Unlike some of Paul's other letters, for example, Galatians or 2 Corinthians, this letter contains very little rebuke or admonishment. 
It's characterized by commendation and encouragement. It's also a very Christ-centered letter. Two passages stand out in particular. The first is Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, which beautifully and even poetically describes the pre-existence, incarnation, life, death, and exaltation of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Or also chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, which describes what Christ will do when he returns from heaven. This is also a very gospel-oriented letter. Although the word gospel, or in the Greek euangelion, occurs nine times in Philippians, references to the gospel appear many more times. In fact, the argument can be made that Philippians is all about the gospel, especially the implications of the gospel. Sixthly and finally, this is a very practical letter. It addresses subjects like unity, suffering, financial support for ministers, joy, gentleness, anxiety, contentment, and many other subjects. So for these and other reasons, this letter has been treasured by many Christians throughout the centuries. Many have found here a rich source of comfort and encouragement in their Christian walk. But before we can delve into the contents of this letter, we must first consider its background. We hope to do that in two sermons. In today's sermon, we'll consider how the church at Philippi became established, which was recorded for us in Acts 16, which we read earlier. And next week, God willing, we hope to consider the background to the letter itself. And so my theme is the founding of the church at Philippi. And we'll see that it was founded, first of all, by the sovereign direction of the Spirit of God, Secondly, by the mighty power of the Word of God. And thirdly, by the faithful nurture of the servants of God. The church at Philippi was founded by the Apostle Paul sometime during his second missionary journey, somewhere between 49 and 52 AD. We read about that in the passage of Scripture that we read, Acts 16. And there we read that when Paul and Silas and Timothy went through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, They intended to preach the word in Asia, but they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Consequently, after they arrived in Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. Now, how the Holy Spirit communicated this to them, we don't know. It's not been revealed. It may have been by some extraordinary means, like a vision. Or it may have been by some ordinary means. Perhaps they were prevented by some special providence, which they interpreted as the leading of the Holy Spirit. But in the end, we simply do not know, nor does it matter. All we know is that every time they sought to preach the gospel in one place, they were prevented from doing so. And so blocked on all sides, the three men decided to go west, to Troas, a city on the coast of the Aegean Sea, which is exactly where the Holy Spirit wanted them to go. And while they were there, while they were in Troas, Paul received a vision. And in the vision, he saw a man. He was from Macedonia. Most likely Paul knew this because of the clothing that the man wore. And this man stood and pleaded with Paul and said, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Well, shortly after Paul received this vision, Luke arrived. Now, this is the same Luke that wrote the gospel by his name, as well as the book of Acts. Now, we know that Luke arrived because up until this time, the third person plural was used, they and them. 
But starting in verse 10, the first person plural is used. Paul speaks of we and us and our. Now, where Luke was before this, we don't know. Nor do we know why he joined Paul at this point, or even how he found out where Paul was. Did Paul perhaps write to him, asking him to meet them at Troas? And if so, why Luke? Well, we don't know the answer to any of these questions. All we know is that Luke joined them at Troas. Well, once Luke arrived and was informed of Paul's vision, the four men concluded that the Lord was calling them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. And so boarding the ship at Troas, they sailed straight to Samothrace, a small island approximately 30 miles or 48 kilometers off the coast of Thrace in the eastern Aegean Sea. And from there, they sailed to Neapolis. From Neapolis, they traveled about 10 miles inland to the city of Philippi. Now, Philippi was a medium-sized city of approximately 10 to 15,000 people. It was located along the Ignatian Way, which was a major travel route that stretched approximately 450 miles from the Adriatic coast of the Balkan Peninsula in the west to the Hellespont and Byzantium in the east. The city was named after Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great, and the ruler of Macedonia, who founded the city after gold was discovered there in the middle of the 4th century BC. Well, two centuries later, this same city was conquered by the Romans, and eventually it became a Roman colony, as Luke also mentions in verse 12 of Acts 16. In fact, in many respects, Philippi was a miniature Rome. Its inhabitants were mainly Romans. In fact, many of its citizens were retired soldiers. They also spoke Latin, which was the language of Rome. They dressed in Roman clothing. They used Roman money. But most importantly, they enjoyed Roman privileges. For example, they enjoyed all of the legal rights of Roman citizens, such as freedom from scourging and arrest, as well as the right to appeal to the emperor. Well, it was here that Paul and his companions began their missionary activity, the first missionary activity in the continent of Europe. The point is, Paul and his companions came to Philippi by the sovereign direction of the Holy Spirit. First, they sought to preach the word in Asia, then in Bithynia, but both times they were prevented. Why? Because the Spirit had other plans. He wanted them to preach the word in Macedonia. The gospel had to go west to Europe, where it would take root and thrive for the next 2,000 years. So the church at Philippi was founded by the sovereign direction of the Holy Spirit of God. But it was also founded by the mighty power of the word of God. And that brings me to my second point. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke arrived in Philippi. And at long last, they were ready to start preaching the gospel. But they did not do so right away. Luke tells us that upon arriving at Philippi, they stayed in the city for some days. Now, what they did during this time, we don't know. Presumably, they were getting to know the city and its people. No doubt, too, they were 
looking for a synagogue because it was to the synagogue that Paul usually went first. On the Sabbath day, however, we read that they went out of the city to the riverside. Now, why did they go there? Most likely because there was no synagogue. And that meant that the Jewish population in Philippi was very, very small. In places where there was no synagogue, it was customary among the Jews to gather together informally for prayer, usually by the side of a river. Paul and his companions knew this, and so that is exactly where they went. And when they arrived there, they saw a group of women. These women had come there to pray. And so, sitting down beside them, they began to speak to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Present on this occasion, according to Luke, was a woman by the name of Lydia. And the text reveals several things about her. First of all, she was from Thyatira. Now, Thyatira was a city located in the province of Lydia, from which Lydia probably got her name. The province of Lydia was located in Western Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, approximately 200 miles southeast of Philippi. We also learn that she was a seller of purple. Purple was the name given to a beautiful purple cloth which was made in Thyatira. And the dye that was used to make this cloth was obtained from certain shellfish. And it took approximately 8,000 of these shellfish, or mollusks, to produce a single gram of purple dye. And that, of course, made this purple cloth very, very expensive. And as a result, it was worn mainly by the very wealthy and royalty, as a kind of status symbol. This is the cloth that Lydia sold. We also learn here that she worshipped God. Now that probably means she was a proselyte to Judaism, like Cornelius the centurion. How Lydia became a proselyte, again, we don't know. Most likely this happened when she was still living in Thyatira, where there was a large Jewish community. Whatever the case, Lydia believed in God, in the God of the Jews, and she regularly worshipped him with his people. The last thing we learn here is that she was probably quite wealthy. We infer this from the fact that she had an entire household, and also that she had a large house, large enough to accommodate Paul and his friends. What is more, we learn from verse 40 that the church met in her house. Well, as Lydia listened to the Apostle Paul speaking about Christ, something remarkable happened. We read in the text that the Lord opened her heart. Now, that's a remarkable phrase. What exactly does it mean? Well, this is simply another way of speaking about regeneration. In regeneration, the Lord, through his word and Holy Spirit, implants a principle of spiritual life into the heart of the dead sinner. And that principle makes the spirit alive, makes the sinner spiritually alive, and able to respond to the call of the gospel to repent and believe. Well, this is what God did for Lydia. He opened her heart. He caused her to become born again. And as a result, Lydia became the first Christian in Europe. 
The second person to be converted was a demon-possessed girl from Philippi. We didn't read about that, but you can read that later on in the same passage that we read in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 23. There we read that as Paul and his friends went to prayer, a certain slave girl met them who had possessed a spirit of divination. In other words, she could foretell the future. Because she was a slave, she made her masters a lot of money. And when this girl met Paul, she started crying out, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She did this, Luke says, for many days. Well, one day Paul got so annoyed with her that he cast the demon out of her in the name of Christ. And the demon went out of her. And we don't know what became of this slave girl, but it's highly likely that she too became a believer. And that would have made her the second convert in Philippi. The third person to be converted in Philippi was a jailer. Luke tells us that after casting the demon out of the slave girl, her masters were so upset that they ordered Paul and Silas to be arrested and taken to prison. And so that's exactly what happened. Paul and Silas were seized and dragged to the marketplace, to the authorities, And there, these owners of this slave girl made all kinds of slanderous accusations against them, accusing them of teaching unlawful customs. And it worked. For we read that the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge... We read, he put them into the inner prison, the most secure place, and fastened their feet in the stocks. Well, that night, around midnight, while Paul and Silas were in prison, they began to sing and to pray. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called out with a loud voice, and he said, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light. He ran in and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they told him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And the man did. So three people were converted to Christ. And how different they all were. One was a wealthy woman, a trader. Another was a poor slave girl. And the third was a jailkeeper. Lydia was converted gently and sweetly. The demon-possessed girl and the jailer were converted radically and suddenly. But all three of them had one thing in common. They were all converted through the preaching of the gospel, as were the members of Lydia's and the jailer's households. Now we learn here how vital and necessary is the preaching of the gospel. It is the power of God Unto salvation. It is the means that God is pleased to use to bring sinners out of darkness 
into the marvelous light of the gospel and to strengthen and encourage the faith of his people. So make no mistake, the gospel that Paul preached so many years ago is the same gospel that is preached today. And the God that saved Lydia and the slave girl and the jailers so many years ago is the same God who is willing and able to save sinners today. Therefore, friend, if you are not saved, pay heed to the words that the Apostle Paul spoke to the jailer. For they are just as true today as they were 2,000 years ago when they were first spoken. And the words are these, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved, you and your house. And so the church at Philippi was founded by the mighty power of the word of God. But as we'll see under our final point, it was also nurtured by the servants of God. When you plant a seed in the ground, the seed must be watered and nurtured. And if it isn't, it will grow and it will not grow or bear fruit. The same is true in spiritual life. When a sinner comes to faith in Christ, he must be nurtured in that faith. That's why our Lord commanded his disciples not only to preach the gospel to all nations, but also to teach them all things that he had commanded them. Well, Paul and his companions did the same. God used them to preach the gospel, and through their preaching they came to faith. But he also used them to confirm and nurture them in this gospel. How did they do that? Well, our text reveals they did this in four ways. First of all, they visited the homes of Lydia and the jailer. In Acts 16, verse 15, we read that after her conversion, Lydia begged Paul and his companions to come into her house and stay. And they did. Similarly, in Acts 16, verses 31 to 34, we read that after the jailer was converted, he also brought Paul and the others into his home where he washed their stripes and set food before them. This is very significant. It is by means of visiting these people, getting to know them on a personal level, that Paul and his companions nurtured the faith of these new believers. Secondly, we read that they spoke the word to them. In verse 32, we read that after arriving at the jailer's home, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And again, we're reminded how vitally important is the preaching of the word of God. It's not only the means by which God is pleased to convert sinners, it's also the means by which he is pleased to nurture sinners in the faith. Thirdly, we read here, they baptize them and the members of their household. And by baptizing their households, Paul and his companions assured them that by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, they had the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. And as such, their baptism served to confirm and strengthen them in their faith. Fourthly, we read here that while Paul and Silas and Timothy departed for Thessalonica, they left Luke behind. Now, why did they leave Luke behind? Well, probably so that he might further organize and strengthen this new church. 
The point is, the church at Philippi was founded by the faithful nurture of the servants of God, who faithfully preached the word and administered the sacraments. And we're reminded here, aren't we, how vital is the work of the minister. He is the servant of the Lord, who is sent by God to nurture his people in the faith. They are gifts of the ascended Christ to his church. Therefore, beloved, we should hold them in the highest esteem, as the Bible also commands us to do. And Most of all, we should pray for them, that the word may equip us and strengthen us to do the work that he has called us to do. And so the church at Philippi was founded by the sovereign direction of the Spirit of God, by the mighty power of the Word of God, and by the faithful nurture of the servants of God. And it lasted for many years. A full half-century after Paul wrote his letter, the church father Polycarp wrote a letter to this same congregation, in which he commended them for their faithfulness, and especially their care of those who were in prison for the faith. We also have in our possession records of bishops of Philippi, whose names are appended to the decisions of church councils held in the years 344, 431, and 451 AD. We know too that in the year 1212, Pope Innocent III made Philippi a see of the church, meaning it was given its own archbishop. The church, begun with just a few people, in the first century A.D., survived for many centuries. Sadly, today nothing is left of the city or of the church, only a few inscriptions and remains of Byzantine churches. But we do have this letter. That is all the Holy Spirit saw fit to give us. And as I hope we'll see in the weeks to come, it is enough. For it contains such a wealth of comfort and encouragement that far surpasses anything else that might have survived the ravages of time. And my hope and prayer is that a study of this letter may be a rich blessing to all of us. May it bring us to Christ for the first time or again. May it lead us in the way of holiness and righteousness and truth. May it produce within us fruits of faith and repentance and good works to the glory of God. And most of all, may it conform us to the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at banneroftruth at frcna.org. For those who take the time to write, I'll gladly send you a free copy of this message so that you can more easily follow along. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's banneroftruthradio.com. 
Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. That's www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can make a donation right on our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.